Welcome to NG Church Network Podcast. We are capturing stories of strength, encouragement and comfort as we pursue spirit-led lives. So Rachel, you're a friend of our network, you've ministered some of the churches. We're going to talk about worship uh, on this podcast and we're going to talk a bit about health, sickness, which is part of your story, but we're going to focus mainly on worship and so I'm just really hoping that people find this encouraging and inspiring and particularly whatever phase they're at in life, that it will, above all else, inspire people when this is finished to go and worship God. You know, that's my, that's my aim at the, at the end of this. Uh, let's start, I knew your late mum and dad a little bit, uh, I was very fond of them, but just talk a bit about the household you grew up in, like, which included, I think, a lot of prayer, a lot of worship, and there was challenges, health challenges over your family as well. So talk a bit about that just to help us know you a bit. So it's so weird talking about my late mum and dad. I still can't quite get used to that. Um, So yes, I was brought up in a Christian family uh, and with parents who practised what they preached, you know, they practised, so prayer and worship and church life was just part of how we were brought up. My great-grandparents uh, planted a church in Highsome Green, uh, which my grandparents then pastored when me and my brother were little. Um, and that, in some ways, exposed us to some environments um, that I'm really grateful for, actually. So we heard stories and saw situations of teenage pregnancy and drug addiction and poverty. So a challenging area to run a Challenging area. And then and the great thing that I've loved um, and, and really enriched me was a lot of cultural diversity. Yes. So I was brought up in that. Um, we didn't live in the area. Uh, so, so home life uh, was very much built around church, very much built around prayer and um, being on the streets, evangelising, open air services, you know, AOG conferences and conventions. Yeah. They don't talk about conventions. Um, and my early years, I don't recall uh, much in regards to health challenges, but my dad was brought up in care. Yeah. He was fostered in the end at the very last minute, I think he was 17, uh, by Christian uh, parents. Oh, he'd been brought up in care all that time. All that time. Not fostered till he was... No. So what happened, he was in a Bernardo's home, and then my, my grandparents went to run that home. And then the home got but was closed and they took a couple of boys and my dad asked wow. if he could go live with them. So my, my grandma's still alive, she's in Devon, still alive. Um, and I think the ravages of care life had an impact on his body. But there was um, a lot of research recently of somebody trying to um, find out about the lives of, of the boys brought up in care and all of them had health. Yes. Situation. So although Dad wasn't terminally ill, yes. he had some health challenges that yes. resulted in critical incidents yes. from time to time. And again, I think we weren't we were protected, but we weren't sheltered from it. Yes. So if Dad was sick yes. and being rushed into hospital, yes. Mum would tell us, and we would pray. Yes. Um, and then, of course, every time the Lord intervened and dad survived against all the odds. Which was numerous times oh, for my Oh my goodness. He was so, often in yeah. significant health stuff. Signi- oh, not expected to make it. So I remember mum would knock on our bedroom doors and be like, listen, Auntie Penny's downstairs. I'm going with dad to the hospital. It's not looking good. Yes. And she'd pray. And the thing was, I remember significantly, you know, it didn't happen loads and loads, but enough to see that God kept intervening and kept intervening to the point where she'd do that and I'd just turn over and go back to sleep because it's like, I'll be right, <laughs> you know, because it always was. But again, I think you saw the answer to prayer. Yes. And you knew the peace of God um, because it was all practised and relevant. There was, and beyond health, um, Dad was medically retired at 40, so there was some financial yes. stuff. And there was times when we didn't have enough and we would pray and things would arrive on the doorstep or... So God was real yes. from the start. Yes, and there's that sense in which so a household of prayer and regular answers to significant prayers mm. was going on. Um, was it a household of worship as well? Were your mum and dad both worshippers? Yes, they were. Do you they get were. it? I, I, this is a weird question. Do you think you get it from 
than such an interesting question because when I knew we were doing this I was, I was just reminiscing and I thought from the start there was an instinct in me to want to know God and a, a recognition of his nearness so I remember being in an aging conference I was maybe four or five I sat on my mum's knee with a little teddy bear and I can't remember the names of the people that were leading worship but I remember having an encounter with God even then. I was just very sensitive to his presence. And I do think that is some of the legacy yes. of Christian parents. And, and I would say that to parents is don't underestimate that prayer and that input um, that we, something can happen yes. around children, I think. It's interesting. I ask you about being a worshiper and I wonder what that conjures up in people's minds, whether it's, playing an instrument or being a singer mm. and yet you talk about intimacy with God straight away yeah yeah true I think that's one of the things as well that I I get um I, I kind of have a bit of an antenna because we often talk about oh we're going to worship yes. you know we're going to worship together now and I'm like but really we should be talking about being worshippers so on a Sunday it's not about having a time of worship it's about the worshippers coming together to worship and and there is a different kind of language around it I think it's like yeah we need to learn to walk with God intimacy with God is a thing um, worship comes from that so yes we'll talk about the route into worship in just a moment just tell the story if you can I, I remember when I first moved to Nottingham, I think it was around the time your dad was taken really unwell in America. Oh, goodness. Just, if you're happy, just tell us that story for a second. Oh, so mum and dad had gone on a, a mission trip with David and Dorothy Sherman. Um, and I'd been at a youth leader's prayer uh, morning, early morning prayer, and had gone into church. And the next thing I know, I'm being chased down by David Howard to deliver this news that dad had... Um, had a major incident and needed open heart surgery. I think he had major heart bypasses in America and we didn't know if he was going to pull through. And of course, Tim and me are in England. We can't get over. Mum is over there staying with, with strangers. Um, yeah, it was all a bit crazy. And uh, didn't it turn out from memory, wherever that happened, that incident, was, there was an expert in the area to, to carry out that sort of procedure? Yeah, that's happened a number of times. So the first time we had a critical incident with that, I was 11, uh, Tim was 13, we were in Scotland camping in caravans and Dad had, um, was very sick and it was, it, they didn't expect him to pull through and he had pancreatitis. Um, and we were in the middle of nowhere. We ended up in this tiny little cottage village hospital in the middle of nowhere with somebody who had majored in pancreatitis in their studies. Amazing. You know, so things like that always happened. Um, you believe that God was watching over? Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. One of the man, one of the big um, scriptures that I think my great grandma used to like hone into us all was all things work together for good. To so those who love God and accord according to His purpose, I think. That was so instilled in us that even in the midst of all of that there was always a, a sense of god's got it and he'll be working through it and it will all be well it was i think probably what got me through a lot of those times yeah very good so talk to us you're a worship leader you've led worship in lots of different churches uh talk to us help us know the journey into worship into the presence of god so when you're leading worship and you're wanting to, to help people make that journey, what are some of the key things you're thinking about? So you've just said it, it's a journey. I think it's biblical as well. If you look at the tabernacle, um, which were, was um, God gave these plans to Moses and then to David and Solomon. It was, they were God-given plans because it was representing something in heaven. You know, so the tabernacle and the temple was always about a process into the inner holy of holies. Um, which in those days only the high priest could go in, but after Jesus, um, getting into all this theology now, but after Jesus, we all have access into the Holy of Holies. And and I still hold to that journey, that, there, that we can come into a deep sense of the presence of God, but we have to journey in there because we have to 
deal with ourselves. I think we have to deal with our distraction and our heaviness sometimes. And there's that scripture, isn't there, in Isaiah 60 about um, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or despair in some translation. It, it's, a, it's a thing that we have to do. And I love the analogy of Psalm 24, where it talks about who may send the hill of the Lord. And I know that was to do with the Israelites and you know some historical um, things and to do with festivals, but the, the imagery is helpful, I think, that on a Sunday, when we're in a room together, we're corporately coming together to come and journey into a deep place into the presence of God. And there is a journey into that. I will always talk about, we come through, so Hebrews 10, we come through the cross that we have access into the holy place because of Jesus. So dealing with ourselves is a good point of reference. I'll often say, let's just spend a minute, just put right anything with the Lord um, that might interfere or just get in the way, just anything you thought or done or said, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Great. So the door, I, I, using my language, so the door is wide open yes. into God's presence. Yes. That's never closed to anybody ever. And so, not if we come through Jesus. If we come through Jesus, so so we've we've given our lives to Him, and from that moment, you have access. We, and and that's true of everybody. So uh, we've had we've, we've had a terrible morning, uh, and we're just not feeling it. That's the phrase sometimes mm. people would say to me. Oh. We're just not feeling it, oh. and and, and, and or, or actually there could be some really significant life stuff going on for people uh, and we'll come come to your examples in a moment but mm. but how do you help people in in that instance you know because uh the doorway is open god's presence is the goal the aim yes. to experience him in intimacy uh how do we talk to us how do we remind ourselves that, that is what this is what we're doing together Mm, it's, some, it's, it's teaching. I'll tend to teach as I go a little bit, but praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 100 talks about this. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. It's like this journey again of coming closer. We're coming closer. And if you look in the Bible, it's praise and thanksgiving that is the, the battleground. You know, Psalm 8, through praise, the enemy is silenced. Or Acts 16 with Paul and Silas, they're praising God. In, at midnight, you know, and, and there's a, a miraculous intervention. It's like praise is powerful. It's it's a weapon, um, and thanksgiving is a key to putting our attention on the things of God. And as we do that, faith rises. So there is a there is a. I think that bit is the hard work. Mm. But we have to remind ourselves that it does talk about in the Bible a sacrifice of praise, putting on this garment of praise, about praise continually being on our lips. There's nothing that says it's nice and easy. It's a, there's an effort involved. And so if you're feeling it's hard work, it's fine. It is a little bit. It's, it's dealing with ourselves, our distraction, our minds wandering, our heaviness, our apathy, our whatever was going on in our lives and making a decision that I'm going to put my praise on because I want to get into the presence of God where, where his manifest presence is, is felt in the room. And um, so I think to understand it is a bit of hard work mm. yeah, and it's a decision mm. that we make and we go together mm. is really important. And so praise and thanksgiving are two of the keys you'd say to yes. anybody and everybody. So just telling God in the simplest words, you're great. Mm. And just saying thank you for whatever thing you can think of. Definitely. And I think, um, I remember when I was working in Leicester, I used the journey as a bit of a, a practice to do with praise. And I think I used to get to like junction 25 and I'd run out of words, you know, and I had to practice a language. Um, and by the time I left, four, four years later, five years later, um, I could get all the way to the church door because I've got a language of, of praise in me. And I think it's good to do because on a bad day, it might take you a little while to be able to break through. And there is a breaking through. I think there is this unseen spiritual dimension that's trying to interfere with our praise breaking through. And, um, you know, we have to understand that that's what's happening in the unseen spiritual dimension. When I'm praising and I'm thanksgiving, and being thankful, the enemy is silenced. Things are happening. It's like the access to God becomes easier. 
expectation, faith starts to rise. Um, it says God's enthroned on our praises, so he draws in. So all of this language, which sounds a bit mystical, it's biblical, um, but yeah, it, it, that's the exciting bit for me, is if we can just make that decision. So, so you're, if I understand you right, you're, you're saying, okay, let's just deal with praise for a moment. You might start with, God, you're good. Yes. And you might think, oh, God, you're great. Yeah. God, you've saved me. Yes. God, you're the creator of all things. Yes. God, you know me. God. And, and so it sort of builds upon builds upon builds. Builds upon builds. And the more you practice it, the more that you find praise flows from within. Definitely. So I remember in COVID, it was one of my practices, right? Praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to really practice this. Um, and not because you felt like it. No, not because I, I really did not feel like it. <laughs> I was quite poorly. Um, so at the time, um, I remember thinking, I'm going to go to Job because there's this whole bit where God speaks about himself. I'm like, this is good language then. But where were you when I set the heavens in its place and when the mountain goat is born? And it's like God describing himself to us. And so I started using that language of, you know, you were the one at the beginning who've created all things. You're the one who sets the seas in its place and in its dimensions. You're the one who calls the stars out by name and puts them in their correct position in the, in the universe. I'm like, oh, you start to develop a language. And the more um, faith comes by hearing, the more that you're hearing yourself saying these things, the more faith is starting to rise of the reality of who God is. Um, one of my practices would be to invite Holy Spirit always to bring revelation mm. so that as I'm speaking these things, help me understand it. Yes. And often you'll get a glimpse of something where you think that's amazing. God, you're so, it's like all the wonders of the world, all the wonders of the world are just between you, like this for you, just between your thumb and forefinger, all the, all the mysteries of the universe, it's all, every, you know, you know, all things from the beginning of time to the end of time, everything is held within your hands, everything is upheld by your breath and the word of your mouth and, and this kind of language that I'm using now, it's because I've practiced it. And yes, sometimes I get bored because I'm using the same, the same language, but I'm still addressing my spirit to hear what I'm saying about God. So there'll be some people listening to this who, who enjoy listening to worship songs, for example, okay. and, and, and find them quite inspirational and moved by them. But when you talk about the praise coming from within. Mm. They will say, I, 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 I've never quite got there. I, I, I've, I can say thank you to God, I've managed that, but it just stops really quickly. Okay. You know, I, I struggle to know to build upon that. Mm. What advice would you give people to know how to let this praise build upon praise, build mm. upon praise? What, what advice question. would you give to people? I think we don't like it because I think often when we talk about things of the spirit, we think it should all be natural. I remember somebody saying to me once, but if I don't feel like praising, I feel like I'm being a hypocrite when I do, which is just such an enemy tactic to get to, to be quiet. Um, so I think understand that there's power in your praise, that every time that you are addressing who God is, when you're being thankful, something is shifting in the spiritual realm around you. So knowing that I think is important. But the other thing is practice. And we don't like that language in things in the spirit, do we? Because we think it should just flow. But it's a practice. We have to practice it. Um, and on some tough days when, you know, it's just an effort even to sit up in bed and to make a decision to get out of bed, um, just to sometimes be there just going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, is enough. Mm. Mm. You know, we've just, it's the, it's the turning the attention of our heart towards God. Yeah, very helpful. So God is everywhere all the time. Yeah. As Christians, we believe that. He's uh, omnipresent. Yet when we talk about uh, entering his presence, mm. we're talking about his, his specific awareness of his specific yeah. presence at a point in time. Mm. Uh, talk about that a little bit for me. So I think that for me, biblically, would be the language about the Holy of Holies. You know, I think sometimes when we journey and we journey, it says God comes and inhabits our praises. He comes and makes 
um, it takes his rightful place among us. It's that. He's like, he's come into the room, but he's now sat. And for me, we could talk about the manifest presence. And I, I think you're right, John. I think it's to do with our awareness increases of him. And he longs to reveal more and more of his presence to us. Um, but I think there's a journey to that and there's a response to that and there's always somewhere deeper to go in that. Um, so for me, it's like it's, it's learning how to, you know, I've had some amazing times, like many of you would have, where you just think the sense of the presence of God in the room, I can really sense him. And then other days where you think, I don't sense him at all. doesn't mean he's not there. Um, but I do believe that our awareness of him can increase and that praise and thanksgiving are the keys to that happening along with the word and the revelation of the spirit yes so so for our way the door is open praise and thanksgiving um, um, and in our gatherings together or in our own personal praise we're trying to we're trying to enter that place where we're consciously aware mm. of the very presence of the living god mm. and he longs for us to know him at that level i i agree i guess one of my experiences or explanations would be, you know, I guess parents, if you've got, you know, your baby monitor on, but you've got friends over, you've still got an ear out. There's that thing of you're, you're present in the conversation, but you've just got this ear out because the baby monitor's on or you're expecting a phone call, but you're, you're hoovering. Mm -hmm. But it, So you're, you're straining a little bit just to make sure, you know, you've got your phone near so that you can see. And I think there is that element of, you know, we might be getting on, but we we're straining to hear and to listen and draw in. There is that something in that inner being of just setting our attention um, to keep an ear out and to keep our heart turned towards the things of God, um, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I was sitting next to a church minister once and it was a gathering where a big gathering and it was a good service. It was, it was I remember it vividly, it was a positive service all around the praise and worship and good. But he just turned to me at the end and he said, did you spot the moment when Jesus walked in? Mm. And he wasn't meaning that God wasn't with us throughout. No. But there was a moment. There's a moment. There's a moment. Oh, and for me as a worship leader, yes. it's that that I'm looking for. But I think often um, what we have to remember, the way that I, I visualise it, like I've talked about, it's like God is it's like he's come into the room, you know, but he's come and taken his place. And... And that's when we worship. And for me, that's not about our agenda anymore. That's about the king is in the room. What does he want to say? What does he want to, what does he want to do? And then we have to listen and respond. And every time we listen and we respond and we wait some more, if we've got time, that the, the sense of his presence can increase. Um, I think it's no wonder, you know, often when you hear about revivals happening, it's often when there's been an extended time of waiting on God, because something happens, you know, um, he, he responds to our hunger and he responds to our expectation. But there is, um, I think, there's a shaking off that we have to do to do with us. It becomes about him. It's all about him. When we come on a Sunday, it's not for what I can get. It's because I want to come and bring something of worth to the king. Mm. And I might have to do some battle and some effort to, to get into the room. But then there's that moment where it's like, oh, it's like the, the king is now wanting to do something and we have to go. Ooh. And what sort of things might people do? You've observed a lot. What sort of, what sort of things do people do in that moment? In that moment, there's often a hush. Um, and we have to learn to sit in the discomfort of that hush. I remember being in an environment recently with some younger uh, worship leaders who were learning and I said, just wait. I think they waited all of five seconds because five seconds seems a long time when you're just counting. And it can be uncomfortable. So I think we have to learn to wait. But usually um, there can be a refrain that somebody starts to sing that comes often from the people Something happens from within the congregation. They're the moments that I think, oh, that God is really stirring, is when it's not coming from the front. We're not, we're not trying to go in front anymore and lead. We're, we're trying to follow the spirit now. Um, so there might be a little refrain or there might be um, a build of sound 
you know, somebody might start speaking in tongues and before you know it, others are starting to speak and there just comes this build of sound. Um, there might be a prophetic word. I mean, for me, that's a place where miracles can happen and we should expect it. Mm. I was in a church the other week where, um, you know, I wasn't there, I heard about it, where in the worship, somebody had come in with pain in their legs, the pain had left in worship. They're the moments we're looking for where it's like, oh, the power, you know, that, that, it's really bad, I shouldn't know where it is, but there's a phrase, isn't there, where it says the presence and the presence of the Lord was in the room to heal the sick. It's like, it, it, yeah, there's an intensity almost that, that comes in the things of God, uh, where his, his presence is intensified, where things of the spirit begin to move. And we're looking for those, but they often come in ebbs and flows. And that's what we have to remember is it can build and build and build. And there might be a song, there might be a shout, and then it will go quiet again. And we have to just wait, wait, wait. And then there might be another moment where it builds again. And there's another song and there's another shout, or it's gone very quiet and people are just bowing down. There's just a sense of reverence and awe in the room. And we just, or the heavy sense of the presence of God. And we just want to bow or, so usually there's an external response going on in those moments. Yeah, very good. I remember another service, you might have been leading the worship, I can't remember, it's a while ago, a good while ago. And it was one of those services where God had, had clearly manifest his presence in, in the worship and the preaching didn't happen that evening. It was mm. one of those people were singing out that were bowed down. And, and so, so for the duration of the service, but I was sort of finished after half an hour. Right, 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 right. I, I, was, I was done. Uh, and mm. I enjoyed it very much. I, I felt <laughs> I met with God or whatever. And it's like, I'm sort of, I, I, I've checked out here. As I said, it was a while ago, and I think I've learned some stuff since. What would you say to me in that instance where I, I've received something, I've been grateful for God's presence, but like, oh. I, I, I'm a um, I'm a bit done now. Yeah, well, the thing to remember is there's always more. Um, and I think that's a bit of a habit that we've got into potentially of, oh, there's a lovely sense of the presence of God in the room. There's been a prophecy. Great, let's move on. Yeah. Rather than let's just wait again with that word. How does God want to minister that word into our being? Um, maybe we've got a response to that prophetic word. Maybe let's just wait. Um, and I think as well, that's where the hard work comes in again of like, oh, God, we go again. We go again. I was at a church recently where it was a morning service and um, I was leading worship and a church I didn't know. And people were really engaged and responding. And it was one of those mornings where the worship just flowed and the pastor just let it flow. And I've got to the end it. I've been on my feet for three hours because I've done rehearsal. We'd already done an hour and a half. And he gets up and he goes, we're not done, let's go again. And even I at that point, even I, but even I, you love it. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? Um, but I do think if we can learn just to keep pressing, just to keep pressing and waiting and not out of, um, you know, what's the word? Like pushing out of our human effort, but just listening to the spirit of God, are we done or is there more? And if there's more, okay, let's go again. Let's go again. It might take a bit of an effort again. If you imagine the analogy of, of a mountain, it's like you can all go off together and it's like we're all going on a bit of a group trip. But our rucksack is in this all a lot of chatter. And then it gets to a bit where it's a bit hard and we just have to maybe plateau and just wait, have a bit of a picnic, mm -hmm. drink some water, and then we might go again. But the higher you get and the air gets thin, again, it, it's another kind of effort, isn't it? You, you're you're watching your step now and you're pre reserving your energy and you're not talking so much and you're having to stop and just look at the view. And I think that it's a little bit like that in this journey that we make up the mountain, so to speak, into the presence of God. Sometimes we can we can plateau here and it's been lovely and the view's great, but or if we just keep going, the air could get a bit thinner. Mm. And just maybe, just maybe at that point, something very powerful might happen as we make room we keep making room and space for the things of god and it's not because god doesn't want to bless us is it no no he's just drawing us closer i think i think so and that in the bible when it talks about that inner place it talks about the holy of holies it's a holy place 
um, you know, it talks about Moses when it says he, he entered into deep darkness to meet with God. It's like the holy holiness of God is heavy. And I think that sometimes when you know um, something's happening in the room, when it becomes a bit weighty, not physically so much, but your spirit becomes a little bit more alert. And you're just aware that to watch and be alert because you're, you're not quite sure what's going to happen next, you know, but you can sense that, that God is in the room. He's taken his place in others and it's weighty. Um, but yeah, is is he always wants to bless us, he always wants to meet with us. Um, but we don't go for what we can get from him, we go out of the desire of wanting to meet with him. And I think if we can learn, my heart would be if we can learn this in private, because in the in the Bible, the Levitical priest, part of their job was to teach the people. The family groups how to worship God in their homes correctly. You know, and if we can learn at home and in our lives generally how to keep walking close, how to keep alert to God, how to keep alert to things of the Spirit, then when we come on a Sunday, we're starting, starting from halfway up the mountain, not from the bottom again. It's like we shouldn't be starting at the bottom every week, like, oh, and we just get to the same place every week. If we can just learn and practice some things so we come already expectant and prepared, I think we could go a little bit further. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's not on account of our effort, just on account of our desire mm. um, to meet with him and respond to him. You've had worship for a long time now. <clears throat> what's... I started young. You started young. What was your, what's your experience now when you find that moment that God has blessed us with his presence? So, uh, has that changed over the years? Do you hunger for it more? Oh, I do. I would say as well, though, which, um, I hope it doesn't shock you, that they're the moments usually I'm in my internal, I'm thinking, I have no idea what to do right now. You know, and even sometimes when I'm playing, I'm thinking, I don't even know what to play right now. I'm just going to trust the Spirit of God is breathing. Um, You've gone beyond the plan. You've gone beyond the plan. And yeah. I'm out of my experience yeah. as well of, I don't know now. Um, but the thing that I try and look for most is that, that bit where I don't know now what to do and we're going together. So I'm looking at the room. Who's, who's, got, who's got something? Who's got the song? Who's got the word? Who's got the thing just to help us go that next bit? Um, and we're in it together. So, yeah, um, so for me, I'm often, I don't know at that point. I'm, I'm, but I, I, my spiritual antenna has got up and I'm like, oh, God, you know, what are you doing now? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm watchful. Um, so I, I would say to any worship you that that's not the time for you to be on the floor with your eyes closed. You need to be watchful and um, alert in the spirit, in your spirit to the things of God. Like, what do I say? But look around the room and see what's happening too. And, and and help facilitate that moment. Um, so I think that's where I have learned something over the years is to recognize a little bit of what's going on and maybe help the people to respond. But I also often get to a point where I'm like, I haven't got what's needed for this next bit. I, I need to wait. Somebody else has got something in the room. And that might be somebody praying out, it might be singing out, it might be somebody sharing a Bible mm. verse, it can, it can be something. But, and, but sometimes they don't. You don't know who it is, but they don't. They don't. So would, what would you say to everybody listening here if they believe they've got a prayer or something like that? Don't let the moment pass, because I think sometimes what can happen is in that very moment, that word is needed. But if you leave it 20 minutes, that moment has passed um, sometimes. And so it's like, oh, don't wrestle with yourself. Just bringing it. Because what's the worst? As long as it's not going against the Bible. Um, what's, the, what's the worst that can happen? You know, yeah, you have a word that somebody's got pain in their knee, nobody's responded. Well, you leave that with the Lord and move on. You know, it, it's fine. We're on learning, we're practicing. We get it right, we get it wrong. Yeah, very um, I think one of the things that helped me, um, Bill Johnson talked about, um, you know, when uh, the, the three disciples have gone with Jesus and he's transfigured and you, you get Peter going, let's 
build something, you know, and I'm like, because Peter's a builder. And, and he talked about that often when we're out of our depth and we don't know what to do, we can naturally go to what we want to do. Um, speak, I'll bring a message in tongues because we don't like the silence. So also learning to sit in that discomfort where it's like, I just need to gaze upon the Lord and wait. We need to learn to do that as well. So sometimes it is about just hush to the point where it's uncomfortable. We've been quiet for five minutes. But if we can keep our attention, I think that's the thing we have to learn to do is don't wonder and think we should be moving on. It's like, no, 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 wait in that, in, you know, in that moment. Just wait and keep the attention of your mind and the focus of your heart still on the things of God. And that's where the language of thanksgiving and praise is helpful, to keep drawing you back. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. It's a holy moment. Yeah, just keep holding it, holding it and waiting. There'll be people listening to this that say, uh, who don't necessarily know you, or would say, well, that's fine on a good day when the sun's out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, yeah, when life's good, the kids are behaving, the bills are paid. I, I find it easy. Perhaps uh, not always been your life story either, has it? So mm. I, I find this this juxtaposition with the health challenges you faced and the fact you're a worshipper intriguing. Uh, that, that interests me uh, in the sense of how that can help everybody listening. How old were you when you realised that uh, health challenges were going to be part of your life? Um, I was, when I got diagnosed, I was 13. Yeah. Mm. So at, at the time, it was just a pain in my wrist. That was all it was. And, and we thought I'd sprained it. I, I think I'd fallen over at some point. And we thought I'd sprained it. Um, but it had started to not look great, started to waste muscles were wasting and very quickly within a couple of weeks you know and it was going quite blue <laughs> so at that point um when my dad went like oh let's get this checked and i had a day at a e while they tried to find out what on earth was going on and then this diagnosis was made of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis um and at that time you know i wasn't told this at the time this is the difference between where mum and dad would protect <laughs> and where they would let me in, um, but they didn't tell me this. And right, so but the the prognosis was that I was unlikely to uh, regain the use of this arm, and that I'd probably be in a wheelchair by the end of the year. Wow. Mm. So your mum and dad knew that, but mm -hmm. didn't tell you that at No. And as a kid, I mean, I look, I look now at children that are going through things. There's certain behaviours of children because you just deal with the day. You just get on with today. You're not thinking about tomorrow. So as soon as I got a diagnosis, it was a relief because it's like, oh, okay, we know what it is. It's not going to kill me. Come Fine. What's tomorrow? You know, um, it, it, you don't think ahead like that. You just get on with it. Um, but it does, it, it does affect you. Pain, physical pain, especially in children. Yeah. Um, you, you grow beyond your years quite quick because you're filtering out all the time. You don't know you're doing it. I look back and realise I did it. But you're filtering all the time what's important enough to deal with because you've got other things that you need your energy for. Mm. And were you already playing the piano at that mm. age? So you'd already learned the piano? So I was 11. I was grade 5 at this point. Um, my grandma played the piano and my mum played the piano. Um, and that's quite instinctive to music. So mum could show me something on the piano and I could almost pick it up by the pattern. So I was learning little tunes and writing little songs from the age of five, six. Um, and yes, yeah, I started having lessons when I was eight. So by the time I was 13, I was grade five. My fingers weren't affected though at that point, just my left wrist okay. and my ankle. Um, so that's how it was until I was 18. And then at 18? At 18, um, it started to spread and affect every joint. Um, and I remember a specific point. I was 18, um, doing my A-levels, and I was doing a music course. So it was heavily music-focused. It was like being in a music school. And um, my fingers started to get stiff, um, just stiff. It wasn't anything else. It was, you know, um, and that's the thing I think people forget is I wasn't always, my hands weren't always like this. I was in my 20s before bones started getting a little squished. Mm. As I tell my students when they ask, what's the matter with your hands? Oh, bones are a bit squished. Um, but yeah, so I'd learned to play, I'd learned my craft. Um, 
you know, it's grade eight by this point. And, um, and how did worship, you've got this heart to worship, you're facing this mm. health challenges. How did those two interweave in your life? <laughs> so I remember so specifically the night after I'd been in hospital all day, I got this diagnosis, my, hand, my arm was in plaster, and they were resting it, ready to start. Very intensive physio, two days of physio a week. So you're old, this time. is when you're 18? No, this is when I was 13. 30, yeah. And I remember um, it was the last day of the summer holidays and uh, it was about nine o'clock at night on a Friday night. Um, it was too late for me to go to the youth. And David and Dorothy Sherman had come round and I could hear the hum of voices downstairs. Um, and I remember sat on my bed looking out the window and my initial instinct was to sing a song. Um, you know, which the words were, when I'm scared, please hold my hands. When I'm all alone, dear Lord, please by me stand. When troubles come like a fire, enclose me in your love. When I'm scared, dear Lord, please hold my hand. And that's, there was that instinct in me already, that the God and me, we're in this together and it is you and me. And there's an element where it was just God and me. It's like my parents are downstairs with their friends, talking this out, and I'm up here. And it's you and me and there was something in that so by the time I hit 18 um, like you asked earlier from four or five years old there was this instinct in me to want to know God um, and I was already sat at the piano most nights I'd go into the dining room draw curtains put a little lamp on and sit with my bible at the piano and sing the psalms and make up songs and and just play and play and play and I had no idea there would come a point where I just I'd feel good and I'd get up and go off with my evening but I know now looking back with experience that I was learning the Lord was showing me what it meant to come into his presence you know so when I hit 18 and things are bad and there was a point where I was, I was bedridden for a time I was flat on my back inflammation levels were crazily high and I couldn't really move I needed help sitting up and getting dressed um, and things were tough but some of that was already built into me um, I remember being 14 and it was um, David Shinnell was speaking on the life of Joseph and he made a statement um, in one of the preachers he said you know when life got tough Joseph didn't ask why he worshipped and at 14 years old I remember that because I remember I felt like I'd been hit in the stomach like it, it really went deep in me and I felt it was the first time I believed that God had actually spoken directly to me, not through somebody coming and giving me a word or, you know, or through reading the Bible. It was like, I felt like the Lord had given me um, something that he was saying to me directly about how to handle that situation at 14. And at 18, when I'm bad, I'm flat on my back and I can't move. And I've had to stop my studies and life is interrupted. Um, this word comes back to me. Don't ask why. Worship. Um, and for me it was about the music, you know, so often I was awake, often at two till five in the morning and I, I would go to bed with my, with my headphones and my music and just play um, live music that I could find from conferences and stuff and um, I had such an encounter with God in those, those nights. Um, we were talking about it earlier because the thing that, that God did in that season was reveal the depth of his love. You know, it wasn't about giving me answers. It wasn't about taking the pain away, nothing of that. It was all about the revelation of his love. Um, I remember one specific night where it, it was, you know, early hours of the morning and there's this song about the glory of God and the presence of God is so deep in the room. And, and with it comes this revelation of how loved I am. And I remember laughing with the irony of it. It's like how loved I am. And yet, look, <laughs> I can't move. And yet the joy that came in that laughter, just because I knew how loved I was, was profound. So profound. And I think the Lord was teaching me something in those times. I, I don't say, I would never say God gives you these things. But he was in the middle of these circumstances. He was revealing his presence and his self. And, 
and, and this is what I look for in corporate worship, it's that. It's like, oh, if we could just turn towards God, regardless of the circumstances, he then does this, and then we respond to that, and something profound can happen in the middle of it, that may not deliver us straight out. You know, I was a good year of um, when my life was very small, mm. and I would spend most of the day trying to get moving. I'd get up maybe at three o'clock in the afternoon to teach a few little people how to play the piano, and I'd go back to bed, and that was it. Um, but, and so, but I felt expanded in intensity. So worship in the midst of pain, and I mean in the most general sense now, mm. whatever people are going through, mm. worship in the midst of pain took you to that place of knowing you were totally loved by God. Mm. I think there's something... Um, I think when we, as the people of God, turn to God in the middle of stuff. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges because if you've been a Christian a while, you kind of tend to think, I'm angry with God, I'm frustrated with God, I will sort this out before I come to him. You know, because I know that I must be, you know, wanting to meet with him, whereas actually I just want to shout at him. And I've done all of this over the years, by the way. I didn't always respond <laughs> in that way. There's been some door slamming. Um, but I think there's something precious to God when his people turn towards him in the middle of stuff. And he, he comes and meets us in that place in a very unique, very special way. I think it's hard when, because I've also had it, especially after, um, I think it was after my dad had gone to heaven actually. So it had been a tough stretch and it was a, it was a savage decade. Um, but for me, it had affected more than just yeah, my parents had gone to heaven. I was living in their house. The house had to be sold. I was losing my home. I'd been caring for dad for four years. It'd been very intense. Um, you know, there'd been some trauma attached to that. That for me was tougher when I, I, I just, I've got no energy. I wasn't sleeping. You know, I, I've gone through a lot of trauma stuff. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief as well as this. It's like, I'd almost learned how to do it in this situation. Applying it into that situation when, when mentally I'm struggling, emotionally I'm struggling. Uh, I have no idea that everything is on the floor. My job is gone, my home is gone, my parents have gone. You know, I, I, I don't, I have no idea where the money's coming from. I know I idea how I'm going to manage. Um, at that point, that, that was harder. I think, and so I'm not underestimating like, well, I've worshipped God and he didn't, he didn't give me that revelation that you're talking about. I get that as well. We weren't going to talk about this, so I think it's probably relevant to some people, but in that situation, that was tougher for me, you know, and I'm like, I can't even find God at the moment. And I'm going through the Psalms often through the night, maybe sleeping two hours a night for, for a couple of years. And, um, I'm going through the Psalms and anything that I see, oh God, you are a shield around me. Flick, flick, flick. Lord, you said that you would be my victory. God, 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 and I am just desperate. You're um, crying out. I am desperately crying out to God. I'm sensing nothing. You know, that, that was a tough graft. And all I could do in that bit was just keep doing it. Just, just every night, Psalms, Lord, you said you'd be a shield around me, glory in the lifter of my head. God, you said those are not to your radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. God, you have said you will keep me in peace. God, you have said, feeling nothing. Um, except bit by bit, the Lord gives you revelations where you think, oh, yeah, I might need some help here, you know. Um, I sought some ministry at some point because I thought that there's a level of trauma that's gone beyond what yes. I know to handle. And then the Lord does something and, and things begin to lift. And I think that's what we have to remember is that sometimes there's some processes to do along the way. You know, I did go to the doctor mm -hmm. and to help with my sleep. I did seek some prayer. I did um, make some good decisions to not isolate myself yes. and be open about where I was at. 
and but in it all I think we have to keep running into God run even if it's with anger and disappointment and lack of trust and don't even know if I can trust you all of that we run to God with it all if we can keep doing that that's the powerful bit I think the issue is when we we start resisting him mm. um and like I said earlier even if it's just I used to sit for hours sometimes so overwhelmed with my thoughts and the situation of life and I had I'd sit for hours just Jesus 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 I don't know what to do God Lord help me help me I don't know what to do but all I'm running to him you know and was I singing no I've got no energy to sing I've got no energy to play the piano in those days. All I could do was keep whispering, Jesus, 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 thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And bit by bit, he healed and restored and brought me through. Um, From my perspective, I think that Wish you hadn't gone through any of that. You wouldn't wish that upon your worst enemy, would you? <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't want anybody to go through that. But sometimes life just works out that way. Life hits. You know, we, we're still contaminated by sin on this planet, mm. well, with this side of heaven. And yet there's something of that that has equipped you to be a worship leader from my perspective. Mm. That, 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 that it enables you to draw others into his place when the sun isn't shining. Yeah. Uh, one more story around this that, that you, you briefly mentioned to me before. You, you went through a bit of a battle to know whether you should have an operation or not. Oh, oh yeah. So that was a funny tidbit. So the, the first few years, just a wrist and a thought, and God had given me a word. Don't ask why I worship, so that's what I did. Good's good. I expected the Lord to heal me within three years. Um, I thought I'd have to practice. Don't ask why I worship for three years. I don't know why. Three just seemed a biblical number. So after three, it's like seven. We'll go for seven. Um, I never expected the Lord would allow things to go to surgery. I, I, I just I just believed he would heal me before that point. Um, so when it got to the point, it was my left elbow um, was completely mashed up and the surgeon, I saw a surgeon and he said, we need to do an elbow replacement. And I, I was shocked because I just thought the Lord would, would have done something before this point. And he's talking quickly as well. It, there's, you know, the cartilage is completely gone and we need to do it. And I, I couldn't believe my ears. I was um, house-sitting for Andy and Sarah Dickin at the time. They were swanning about somewhere. And I remember just, I was just, I couldn't believe it. And I went back to their house. I have apologised publicly before to them. But I remember holding my nerve in the taxi, I wasn't driving at the time, getting home. I slammed that door and then I shouted at God. I, I, I was so You were going to heal me. This is what like, you believed, yeah. Yeah. What, what on earth are we doing? I cannot believe you put me in this situation. And I mean, I was angry, even to the point where it's like, don't talk to me, I'm not listening, I'm cross with you. It was, um, and this is what I'm saying, I think some of you might be shocked by that, that you know, can't talk to God like that. I think we can when, I, when we're being real and our heart is to not stay there, I think we can. Um, and I just did what I knew to do. I went on this waiting list and I thought, right, there's a nine month waiting list, you've got nine months. You've got nine months. Um, and all I did was just, I just kept, um, I just kept close. We didn't talk about it. You know, and I go and see the surgeon three months later and I realised that something in me slightly shifted. I've moved from being angry about it to, hmm, not happy about it, but fine. If it's got to happen, it's got to happen. Um, and we were debating a, a smaller op, which my surgeon was like, oh, you know, we could do this, but I don't think it's what really needs to happen. And I'm just stalling because I'm like, I need to stall as long as possible to allow God the time to do something. And I'm in agony, you know, I'm not, <laughs> this is not, I'm literally going around holding my arm from being jumped. I'm in agony with it. So um, I'm just stalling 
Um, and then I go again three months later um, and I realise I've moved again, something in my heart. And all I've done is just keep walking close. I haven't tried to change my heart. I've not tried to surrender or submit. I've not tried to do anything. I just kept doing what I know to do. And I just found bit by bit a level of, okay, Lord, if you're going to heal me, you need to do it quick. And if you're not, I don't know what to do. And right up until the pre, uh, the post, you go for this like a week before you go for a bit of an assessment, right up to that moment, I was still stalling. Um, and I said to the Lord, you know, I don't know what to do. I could do with somebody always telling me that I haven't got a choice. And I'm not kidding, I'm sat talking with my surgeon. This other surgeon is nothing to do with me, barges into the room, it's rude, barges into the room, shoves my x-ray, up at the thing, oh, she hasn't got a choice, this shit, and just barged out of the room again. And I, at that point, I just thought, and I, I said to my surgeon, cool, let's do it. We'll do the whole, the whole thing. And he's still trying to convince me to do it. He had to stop mid-sentence, you know, and, 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 and oh, what? And I'm not kidding. I said to the Lord, I've got some conditions. If I go, I want my own room. I want my own bed with a tree. I want to see a tree from my window. I mean, <laughs> this is me. Um, I want to be able to talk to everybody about you before I leave. And um, the elbow had locked at this point, which they didn't need to happen. I said, and that elbow needs to unlock so that they can get the best possible movement from the surgery. And I'm not kidding, everything, everything happened. Um, my, my, my elbow unlocked on the way down to theatre. Um, I thought I'd been healed for a moment because it's like, yeah, I could move it. And I'm like, um, and I had the most amazing opportunities to talk about the Lord, even to the point where one little little lady, because everyone's like 90, having, having joint replacements, you know. <laughs> yeah. But there's me, 20 something. Um, and this little old lady walked by the end of my bed one day and then literally came back and sat down and said, tell me about the God you believe in. And I you know, and, and that's how it was, you know. And, and in all of it, it, all things work together for good. Do I believe that? God gives us sickness? No, I don't. Do I believe that he's teaching, he, he's wanting it to happen so that he can teach me these lessons? No, I'm not at all. Um, but I do believe he worked in and through everything. Um, and if we can keep turning towards him in it all, it's, we can keep giving him access all the time, you know, to do what he wants to do. Um, and even when stuff happens, like, you know, mum went to heaven at 63 with eight weeks notice. But the presence of God was so powerful in her place, you know. And she did it very easily. She easily went into heaven, you know. And you, you trust in the end, you trust the presence of God. And I, there was this great quote, um, where was it? Actually, I wrote it down to um a guy called Walter Burkhart, and he says this, he said, trust escalates not because God's offered proof, but because he has shown his face. Mm. And I'm like, that's where the trust comes, is when we see him. You know, not because he's done what I wanted him to do, but because he's revealed himself within it. Back to the intimacy. Mm, all the time back to intimacy. And I guess my hope out of this discussion is that anyone listening is thinking to themselves, whatever's going on in life, mm. may I know God more deeply so that whatever life throws at me, mm. I will know him more closely. I think so. But I would also go further to say, and if life's good, yes, and you're doing well and everything's wonderful, yes. learn this stuff because this is what it's about. Eternity is about him. The whole story of the Bible is about his presence with his people. Mm. And us knowing him and being known and seen and heard and this is the life that we get to live now is this increase I'm nowhere near where I want to be I'm like Lord I so want more of you I want to understand more I want to get more I want to see miracles I, I want to be able to walk down the street and your presence is so great in me because we are carriers of you that somebody's here just because I've walked by them and they don't even know I, 
it's like until we're walking like this, I'm not going to be satisfied. So for me, some of this language is almost the basic beginning of walking with him, being close to him, remembering that our life is for his glory. It's for the advancement of his kingdom. It's not about me doing what I want, getting what I want and asking him to bless it. This is all about me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. My life is not my own language, which is hard. But the more we know him, the more that makes sense, I think. At this season of life, you, you've started empty space worship in mm. Nottingham, where you're gathering whoever wants to. Mm. Speak about, where, just for a moment, where you feel the church in the broadest sense is at, and what's in your heart of, of how we corporately should be worshipping at the mm. moment. What's on your heart at this time? In this particular season, because I think there's things that God is always revealing and there's sometimes an emphasis on a particular something, something at a particular time. Um, so I think at the moment that God is bringing a real fresh revelation about his kingship and about his rule and sovereignty. So I would say to worship leaders especially, be aware of the bigger picture of what God is doing and, and what he's revealing. Because when we then choose songs that are about that, normally our time of praise and worship seems to go further because we're right in sync with what he's wanting to reveal of himself in the season. Um, for me, it's, I think COVID was a bit of a, of a moment for me of hearing about the amount of people that were struggling to worship at home, online services and they were struggling to worship and it something in my heart just thought oh lord do we understand are we do we understand how to get into your presence then on my own you know me without any environment or atmosphere or congregation around me can i get into because the doors presence? open like we said green the across the doors yeah. open it's often helpful to have people, but it's certainly not essential. The only thing that's essential is Jesus. Yes, it's that. It's so good, John. Um, so I think there came a desire in me to want to, can we get back as the people of God to knowing how to truly do this journey into his presence in life so that when you're at home working in your family, um, you know, we were saying before we started filming that one of the Levitical um, responsibilities was to teach the people how to worship God correctly in their family groups. It wasn't about just the times they came together corporately to worship at the temple. It was about their family worship at home as well and how they um, how they treated God, so to speak. Um, and I think this is my heart, is to teach the people, not that I know it all, but together can we learn how to approach the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and get into his presence without without any gimmick, without the help, without, I mean, empty space doesn't even have a band, you know, it's just me on a keyboard and uh, a friend of mine on a guitar and it, and some of that at the moment, I'm not saying that will stay like that, but some of it's deliberate because it's just, can we do it when we haven't got amazing sound in the room and, and, and whatever, whatever can I on my own get into the presence of God? And that's my heart for the people of God generally, so that then when we come together, we can go deeper, quicker. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe that the Lord is moving. I think there's a shift happening. Um, you can see many things that you think, oh, this is tough, life, you know, the world is, is shaking and it, it's in turmoil, you know. Went through my newsfeed this morning. I was like, not, not more, Lord. It's just tragedy everywhere. But I do believe that God is raising up his church to stand in the power and the authority that he's given us to do. But we can't be trusted with that if we are not learning how to walk like we're talking about. If we can't be under his authority, we can't be trusted with his authority uh, and with the level of what he wants to do in and through us. And I think we're in a season of Acknowledging his kingship. His kingship, yeah. Acknowledging his kingship. Oh, very helpful. Uh, and we'll put, probably put links to your social media channels that are public in it, uh, along this so people can see the empty space worship mm. when that is. Uh, can see some of the stuff you've done. 
maybe links to your book you've written. Another. Oh, that book. The book. That book. Last question from me. Last, because time's gone. But last question from me. We've talked about worship. We've talked about intimacy with God. How would you, if I was going to conclude with, conclude the character and nature of God as you understand it now, if you were just going to try and simplify that for us, how would you describe God with everything as a worshipper, through what you've been through, through the different churches you've seen, different, you, you package it all together. I'm interested in knowing from you, how would you describe the character of God? The character of God. I mean, it's a bit cliche, but it's true is love, love, love. He, he is, it's his very nature. He, he, he's, but he's passionate. There's a, there's a book, I wrote it down again. Exodus 34, verse 14, it says, the Lord is passionate about his relationship with you. It's in the New Living Translation. And I'm like, I love that language that, you know, it's not this, we, we can limit love by our human understanding that can be a little bit like, you know, oh, I love, I love my car, you know, it's like, no, God's love for us is passionate and all-embracing. Um, for me, you know, he desires to be known. And he's, there's that verse in Psalm 27 where David says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. And I'm like, I think the Lord's like, well, I've got to talk with me. I want to show you something. I've got mistress to reveal. I you know, and if we can learn every day, Lord, what are you saying about my day? Submit to your Lordship and sovereignty today. I think we could go on a really exciting journey with God. Um, I think he's strong. He's stronger than we understand. And I experienced this in part, you know, that the language of in my weakness, he is strong. God is strong. God is not on the back foot on any level. And we could look at the world and think, oh my goodness, God has... Let me tell you, this, God is not phased by any of it. He's strong. He's in control. He's oh, it's powerful. It's all held. Um, I would say he's trustworthy. You know, and it's back to that quote that I say. We can learn to see him. I've had my years where my trust has been tainted and I've been nervous of God. Um, but the more we see him, I think that settles. And I think lastly, I would say, you know, I think he's funny. I actually think God is very funny. I think he's got a really bizarre sense of humour about things. Yeah, if I talked through a donkey, I like a bit of Narnia in the Bible. What on earth? What on earth? Already knowing that C.S. Lewis was going to write about this land with talking animals. I'm like, Lord, did you just put that in the Bible to inspire him for that? What on earth? God is funny. I've known him after many times. <laughs> Rachel, that's incredibly helpful. Uh, my prayer is that we will be worshippers in spirit and truth, mm -hmm. and we will know the humour of God, the love of God, the strength mm -hmm. of God. What was your other one? Was one of that the trust of God? We will mm -hmm. know the faithfulness of God, and may we all access that uh, through worshiping Him with sincerity. Thank you so much, Rachel. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the NG Church Network podcast and conversation. We are passionate about capturing authentic experiences of ordinary lives impacted by an extraordinary God. To find out more about our network, please check out www.ngchurchnetwork.org.uk.